This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. We're in trouble. I mean, your democracy had a heart attack on the 6th of January. When you have a heart attack, you should change your lifestyle. You should change your diet. And I'm not sure you have. Radek Sikorsky is the chairman of the EU-USA delegation in the European Parliament. And not only does he say the U.S. is in trouble, but the rest of the world. We have some of the similar challenges because we have political entrepreneurs who thrive on chaos. And he says part of the solution is reining in some of the big social media companies. I think the time has come to uh, to regulate um, some of the uh, tech sphere because it's endangering uh, uh, our democracy. You know, some of these algorithms are designed for us to stay online, and what keeps us online is getting angry at our fellow citizens. Sikorsky also talks about North Korea, Russia, Belarus, climate change, Nord Stream 2, and much more. Coming up on this episode of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. Facebook announced on Tuesday that it had taken down hundreds of accounts that were posting disinformation about COVID-19. Disinformation and social media platforms have become the main weapons, along with spyware, malware, and ransomware that rogue nation-states criminal actors and some of the great power countries like Russia and China have used to achieve their political goals. Their frequent targets are the U.S. and the EU. For almost the entire presidency of Donald Trump, the Allies were estranged and not able to see eye to eye on ways to fight back against those threats. Now that Trump is gone and COVID-19 is being contained to some degree, they're resuming their efforts to deal with the world's problems. We sat down with Radek Sikorsky, chairman of the EU-USA delegation to the European Parliament, to talk about all of that. Uh, We've resumed physical meetings, which is nice, because uh, Zoom doesn't quite do it. And yes, we were received by uh, Speaker Pelosi. We um, uh, held several sessions with my uh, co-chair, Jim Costa. We visited uh, the National Security Council, the State Department, the think tanks. Uh, And the most urgent issue is the pandemic. We have the same problem of significant proportions of populations, both in the US and the EU, not vaccinating. And we need to explain to people that it's really important to do so. Um, The vaccine has been an international effort. We need to uh, vaccinate the rest of the world. Um, Secondly, climate change. There are catastrophic floods in Europe catastrophic fires in the United States, 
uh, I think fewer and fewer people doubt that this is for real and we need to do more about it. Europe already has a a CO2 uh, emissions trading system. The US, I understand, is considering one. Um, we can help, we can learn from each other. Uh, policy towards China, obviously, very important. Uh, Europe is uh, not a military superpower, but we are a regulatory one. And uh, we welcome the creation of the Trade and Technology Council, which will set minimum standards on things like cyber ethical standards, uh, um, uh, uh, regulations to do with new industries such as uh, artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and um, and the protection of data. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, uh, your president has made a successful trip to Europe. He has uh, restored the sense of an alliance and agreed some important things, which we welcome. Uh, like uh, a global minimum uh, corporation tax. Uh, We need to uh, recover some of the money hidden away in tax havens. We need the money to pay off our debts and to uh, finance our recoveries. So among the list of things that you mentioned, um, I want to talk about some of them individually. Uh, The first thing I'd like to ask you about, I think the COVID thing, we already know what the issue is, and you've laid it out. There's really nothing more to ask. It's just how do you get people to take the vaccine and how do you finance it and just how do we move forward on that? But I'd like to dig a bit more into the China situation. What 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 is your concern mainly with China? This is a complex relationship. I'm the author of a the main position paper of the ruling party in the European Parliament, the European People's Party, and we should uh, collaborate with China where possible, uh, compete where needed, uh, and confront where necessary. Um, a complex relationship, more so than in <coughs> towards the Soviet Union in the Cold War. But China is a rising power. It clearly wants to uh, replace the United States at the, at, at the top table. Um, it has pronounced a very ambitious scheme to be uh, dominant uh, in various fields of technology and is, is, is linking countries to itself through the Belt and Road Initiative um, and is sometimes engaging in, in uncompetitive practices that are not compatible with uh, the rules of the World Trade Organization. Um, and under the previous administration, the U.S. was uh, fighting a, a, a two-front war on trade with the EU and China at the same time. The, we didn't think that was wise. Um, uh, we are now going to collaborate uh, also with um, like-minded uh, democracies in the Far East. And then I think we have a, a chance to... Um, to keep this competition with China, which I think is inevitable, but at the, at the right temperature without coming to the boil, and, um, and hopefully to amend uh, Chinese behavior so that they become a, a, a responsible, respected uh, stakeholder. One of the things that's very clear was that the previous administration was fighting with almost everyone, um, and, and, and a lot of it as you and other uh, important influential figures on the world stage have said, it wasn't necessary. So the U.S. now is repairing relationships with those people that 
have been allies for, for decades who were pushed away. So how would you assess the status uh, and uh, I, I, the, the path of the relationship between the U.S. and the EU? It's a mixed uh, picture. President Trump was uh, uh, clearly mistaken to, uh, to give summits to uh, a Stalinist murderer in uh, North Korea. But he was right on uh, on Europeans needing to spend more on defense and on uh, blocking the uh, Nord Stream pipeline. With the new administration, they are right to uh, talk to friends and to gather uh, allies. Uh, but uh, the decision on, on Nord Stream is regrettable. Um, it, uh, it, it's, Why? Uh, well, it's a, it's a win for President Putin of Russia, who will be able to deliver gas to Western Europe, bypassing uh, Ukraine, Slovakia, and the Czech Republic, and depriving those countries of transit fees. Uh, and, um, and he's already said that uh, it, it, will, it will empower him to blackmail uh, Ukraine. Well, I was just about to ask you what the consequences of that would be, but that appears to be a very big one at the top of the possible list that he could and has said he would use that. Um, so what have you said to the United States leadership about this move that you said was regrettable? Uh, well, you know, I understand the motivation. Um, President Trump was uh, seen as uh, quite hostile to Germany, and uh, presidents usually do the opposite of what predecessors had done. So there's a, there's a desire to reset relations uh, with Germany. I understand that. But, um, but Central Europe uh, is going to be the loser of, of, of this. And the, and, the US, and the Central European countries are, are also allies and uh, rather on the, on the front line out there. Um, so this doesn't increase U.S. credibility in those countries. You know, um, one of the things that was noticeably absent from your statement with uh, Mr. Costa was a mention of Russia. Uh, I noticed you mentioned China. You know, you mentioned the, the other things you've talked about, but you didn't mention Russia. I was going to ask you if Russia perhaps didn't come up. But I, be, I guess based on what you've told me already, Mr. Sikorsky, it did come up. Uh, but can you give us some sense of um, how much a part of the conversation was Russia? Because we know Russia's been engaged in some things. We had a conversation that was scheduled some months back, but we couldn't do it for other reasons. But um, Russia, what, what is the situation with Russia and the EU? Well, on Nord Stream, remember, uh, we disagree in Europe. The Germans like it because they are, going to, they are making money on, the, on this pipeline, okay? Uh, so um, there is no unified position on this uh, in the European Union. On Russia, uh, we are united. We, we have passed sanctions on Russia for its occupation of the Crimea, for its uh, support of separatists in eastern Ukraine, uh, for um, uh, persecuting Mr. Navalny uh, and, and, and Democrats in general. Um, Russia is an authoritarian state that um, tries to destabilize us, uh, fosters uh, uh, uncertainty and, uh, and hostility. Remember, the anti-vax movement was hugely uh, magnified by Russian trolling operations. 
Uh, they support the extreme right, the extreme left, uh, uh, everybody who will besmirch democracy, who will contribute to, to chaos. Their, 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 their purpose is not for us to like Russia. Their purpose is to show that we are as bad as Russia and to undermine our own citizens' trust in our institutions and in our alliances. And I'm afraid on the anti-vax movement, they've been successful. They've um, undermined millions of people's trust in science, in, um, in our health institutions, and in our governments on this really important issue. And I'm afraid uh, some people have died unnecessarily because they didn't take the vaccine in time, because they believed this nasty propaganda. That That is profound. Um, um, we're here in the United States. Some of us have been aware of that for a while, but the large, vast majority of people here have simply not embraced it, simply not understood it, or in some cases have flat out rejected it. But we see now, as you have seen before and in decades before, the way this propaganda seeps into a society and becomes fact or gospel in the eyes of some people. So how, how do we fight this here? Well, I think millions of Americans are watching a TV station called RT without even knowing that RT stands for Russia Today and is a Kremlin propaganda tool. I don't know why RT has a license in the United States. Do you think uh, your TV stations have a license in Russia? Of course not. And you're exactly right about why RT is on the air here. And that is one of the things that's bedeviling all of us, at least the leadership and and, and some journalists who, who know about this situation. This is not a, 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 an, an institution that does journalism. This is an, a, a, a tool of um, information warfare. Mm. And I understand, you know, we are open societies. We, 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 we have some inbuilt vulnerabilities. But, you know, naivete is not a virtue either. <laughs> very funny, but very true. So, Mr. Sikorsky... Um, couple more things on the Russia thing. Belarus, the, 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 the airspace situation that took place not too long ago, um, you, I think you were outspoken about that and the EU as a whole. Um, empowering and enabling people like Lukashenko to do things like that, is that a concern, a fear still? No, we didn't empower or enable. What happens is that autocrats the world over, including the Russian autocrat and the Belarusian autocrat, misuse the procedures and institutions of the civilized world for their nefarious purposes. Um, uh, They've misused, uh, for example, Interpol arrest uh, procedures for targeting opposition figures. Or they've misused the the legal aid between states to gain uh, evidence on opposition figures in order to to, to, uh, land them with uh, false prosecutions. And in this case, uh, this was a, a flight that you're referring to from Athens to Vilnius, from one EU capital to another EU capital. Um, the airline uh, uh, is Ryanair, Irish-owned, registered in Warsaw, so a European uh, airline, um, traveling between European destinations, carrying mostly European citizens, uh, was forcibly uh, was forced to land with the threat of a of a of a uh, fighter aircraft 
uh, on non-EU territory on the false pretext of a bomb being on board. So the Belarusians misuse the procedure or, or that, is, that are meant to protect passengers in order to, to um, exfiltrate and, in effect, hijack a passenger uh, because of his political activity. This is completely outrageous. And, 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 uh, and it's a threat to civil aviation the world over. Imagine if, <coughs> if, um, if uh, some government doesn't like you for your journalistic uh, work. Uh, and then you having to check when you fly on holiday abroad whether possibly this uh, aircraft is not going across the airspace of, uh, of, of, a, of a country that doesn't like you. I mean, we would go nuts doing, having to do that. And in this case, it wasn't even flying over Belarus. It was made to, uh, to, uh, to land, um, even though it was flying over the EU. Yeah. Um, so we have put on uh, the toughest sanctions ever on, uh, on Belarus, on Belarusian officials involved in the persecution of the opposition and in this incident, including President Lukashenko, uh, himself, there is, you know, we are not going to go to war with Belarus, but but this we can do, and we've done it. And I think um, President Lukashenko, with these this widespread horrible repressions, is slowly stacking up uh, points for a prosecution before an international criminal court. Now, are the sanctions working, or is it too early to know? Well, the sanctions are working, but you know. The fact that Lukashenko can travel to the EU and that his hypothetical assets have been frozen is uh, no problem for him, because guess what? He's not um, spending the next holiday in the French Riviera. Um, uh, and he keeps his money in Dubai. Um, but some of those oligarchs and some of their family members do want to do their shopping in Paris and London, and then, and then we can uh, inconvenience them. Now... One thing that you mentioned early on was this meeting that the former president had with the Stalinist. You were talking about uh, Kim Jong-un yeah. in North Korea. I've spoken to numerous sources since the Biden summit with Putin, and they've said that was really not an advisable thing to do either because of the stage and the platform that it gave Putin to do the kinds of things that you've talked about so eloquently today. Was that needing a help to anyone? I would defend President Trump on that one because, uh, President, sorry, I would defend President Biden on the meeting with Putin because um, uh, Putin is a killer, as President Biden said, but he's a, 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 a killer in um, uh, not wholesale. It's, uh, it's retail. <laughs> Whereas Kim Jong-un is a wholesale murderer. Mm. He has 200,000 people in concentration camps. Mm. Um, and, uh, and the meeting with President Trump strengthened his um, legitimacy at home. Uh, uh, whereas with Putin, it's to do with... Um, uh, managing the relationship in the nuclear field, managing the relationship in the cyber field. Um, Russia is a far more important country than, uh, than North Korea. And, um, you know, you sometimes have to do diplomacy not only with friends, but also with adversaries. And it was clear 
that they were not buddies with President Putin, uh, that they were not going to have some kind of uh, love fest, mm -hmm. whereas the choreography with Kim Jong-un was far more uh, falsely hopeful. Now, back to the things that are most important, and that is the EU, and that's your business here. Um, what, it, what is the most important thing on your agenda or to you and your team at this stage? Um, we have already passed a uh, recovery plan, such as the U.S. is considering. As when you put together the multi-annual budget uh, and the recovery fund, it's about 2 trillion euros, and it's already being disbursed and it will be spent in about equal proportions on health systems, on digital transformation, and on energy transformation. So we want the money not just to be uh, consumed, we want the money to create a new economy. And I hope the U.S. does something similar. We need the U.S. Uh, to recover its uh, economy, to re regain its competitiveness, so that our model of a free economy bolstered by democracy is more attractive to the rest of the world than the Beijing-Moscow consensus of a closed, uncompetitive um, economy underpinned by aut uh, autocracy. Mr. Sikorsky, one of the things that both Beijing and Moscow have been doing, and Beijing more so, and you mentioned the Belt Road Initiative and some of the other things that they're doing, is to try to go to these places or countries and put things in place on the ground to supposedly help these countries. But at the end of the day, for instance, a railroad that they built in Djibouti, the people there just don't they can't maintain it. They can't afford to. You know, the communications systems that they gave other countries in, in Africa um, have back doors in them that essentially are problematic for, for security. So do you get the sense that these activities by both these countries, um, which in Russia really is no economic threat, it's, <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, it's the other part of the threat from Russia, and that is, you know, the, 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 you said the, the killing and, and, and the incentivization of all of that. But China for sure, um, you know, so is what they're doing going to fold in on itself at some point? And if, if that's the case, can, can the EU and the rest of the world wait for that, or do you need to do something? You said earlier you were sort of uh, trying to, in, in a way, you sort of said you're trying to help them change their calculus on some things. What's, what's the view now? Uh, we, this was an important part of our discussions in, in Congress, and we've uh, done our figures. The EU supplies, uh, together with its member states, supplies half of all the developmental assistance to Africa, for example. Uh, what the Chinese are doing is um, tempting uh, the politicians in some of these countries with these um, loans that are secret in nature, that are governed by Chinese law, uh, and that uh, contain enslavement clauses, uh, so that if you are not able to maintain the payments, uh, the, the collateral will be some of your key state enterprises, or even land in those countries. And, and what we see is, is what you mentioned, a lack of transfer of skills, sometimes mass migration, um, and, so <coughs> and sometimes problems that appear years down the road. 
So I, I can understand why, polit- you know, I'm a politician myself. I understand why people want a, a ribbon cutting ceremony on a, on a road or a dam or, or some piece of infrastructure. Uh, but sometimes very serious problems uh, await uh, successes a few years down the road. And I feel we don't do that, stuff like that. And countries should appreciate the difference. Mm. Any final thoughts that you have today on where the world is going? I mean, you're a very thoughtful guy, and you've written some things that I've read and, uh, and learned from quite a bit, and a lot of it has to do with our interpretation of what's happening around us and, and reality. Uh, a good example you mentioned today was the RT thing. A lot of people just <coughs> don't necessarily realize what it is that they're watching without having done the, the homework to study it. So where's the world going from your viewpoint, and, where, and where, how's, where should it be going, and how should it get there? We're in trouble. I mean, your democracy had a heart attack on the 6th of January. When you have a heart attack, you should change your lifestyle. You should change your diet. And I'm not sure you have. We have some of the similar challenges because we have political entrepreneurs who thrive on chaos, who thrive on um, the uh, confusion partly brought about by new technologies, new ways of of, uh, gathering political information and people communicating with one another. Um, I think the time has come to uh, to regulate um, some of the uh, tech sphere because it's endangering uh, our, our democracy. You know, some of these algorithms are designed for us to stay online, and what keeps us online is getting angry at our fellow citizens. We need algorithms that will do the opposite, and it can be done technically, that encourage us to have a civilized debate about facts and about how to manage our affairs. And, and I think this is, a, uh, this is exactly what we can help with uh, each other with, because we have similar problems. We need to reach and de-radicalize parts of our populations, because if we don't, we, our democracies will be in serious trouble. Brilliant. Mr. Sikorsky, thank you very much, sir. Thanks. Radek Sikorsky, he's the chairman of the EU-USA delegation at the EU Parliament. Coming up on our next episode, the Taliban is likely to overrun Kabul and possibly take over Afghanistan again within a month or two. And the prospect is stoking fear across the country. The threats are getting higher on a daily basis. Uh, The fear of Taliban retaliation is being felt intensely across the country. They're capturing the biggest cities and torturing our allies. And they're going door to door and kill, you know, anybody, specifically the interpreters who, the interpreters or anybody who work with the U.S. forces. How are they able to find these people? Well, they know. They know very well because, you know, Afghanistan is not that a that big country. Say, for instance, you live in a in one of the provinces and most of the people know you and everybody around you, and they know you. And when they get you, they directly kill you. Say, I'm sorry, say that again, please. When they get you, they directly kill you. 
you. They directly kill you. Yes. They don't ask for your paperwork, by the way. You know, they don't ask for your ID. They don't ask for anything else. They, they know where you work. I mean, hmm. they directly kill you. How much of, of a concern is this for the people living across Afghanistan right now? And everybody is in a fear after the U.S. withdrawal. And you know that U.S. will withdraw by September 11th. His name is Ahmad Siddiqui. He's Afghan and a former interpreter for the U.S. military. He now lives in the United States, and he tells us a troubling story on our next episode. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about our program, send me an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green, one word at whiskey. TangoOscarPapa.com. That's jgreen at WTOP.com. Also, follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. We also encourage you to subscribe to our podcast as well. And if you'd like more information about national security, you can find it in my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff. And you can sign up for Inside the Skiff at WTOP.com slash alerts. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, and welcome to T-Pain's Nappy Boy Radio Podcast. The most fun you'll ever listen to while you're folding your clothes. Now let's get this straight. This is not your average podcast. T-Pain's Nappy Boy Radio is super fun, super crazy. It's pretty much an in-your-face conversation. That's the good thing about us. We don't do interviews. We do conversations. All of my guests, all of my co-hosts, we chill. We drink, we play games, we have the song of the week, we have the creative curse word of the week. As long as you're having fun as our guest. Speaking of guests, each week I'm gonna go through my whole contact list and dive head first into the world of music, gaming, exotic cars, tech, strippers probably, doctors probably, probably strippers that are only stripping so they can pay for tuition to become a doctor. You never know. My wife is a certified bartender. She'll make you a drink while you're here. We'll get you drunk and make you play VR after. It's a lot going on. But that's what it's all about over here at T-Pain's Nappy Boy Radio Podcast. See you soon, baby! Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.